Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Hello, I'm Dan Catchpole, reporter with News Data's Clearing Up. And with me is my co-host and editor of News Data's California Energy Markets, Jason Fortney. News Data covers the energy sector in California and the Northwest and beyond like no one else. And we're here to bring you some of our top stories this week. First, Jason, as summer winds down, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Dan. How are you? I uh, I attempted to bring my daughter to work day today, but she's back with her mom after a few hours of not not working. I know you feel my pain. Oh, I I do indeed. <laughs> I uh, the summer camps are over, and I work at home, so um, every yeah. day is bring my kids to work day. Apparently. Mm-hmm. And um, try as I may to be like, get outside. I love you, but I want to love you while watching you through the window. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, it's yeah. just, it's, I don't know. I, it's, it's a work in progress. It's tough here right. because, you know, it's 104 degrees. It's like, go outside. Oh, oh. Maybe yeah. Not. All right. Here's your Nintendo yeah. Switch. <laughs> Well, you know, sometimes the screen has to be the third parent. I know. And we all struggle with that. I know. But well, uh, I'm sure plenty of listeners out there feel our pain and are counting the days until school and a kind of regular routine returns. Yeah. Um, much as I love summer, there's something to be said for routines and some other people watching my kids during the day. Yep. I'm with you on that. And, uh, my kid loves her school, so that's oh, that's great. Doesn't, doesn't feel like punishment. Yeah. <laughs> Let's uh, I'll, I'll just quickly let listeners know what we're going to cover today. Um, so I've got a latest, the final report from Governor Inslee and Senator Murray on the future of the Lower Snake River dams. And uh, some West Coast attorneys general want to get involved with a FERC hearing here to uh, oppose a Northwest gas pipeline expansion. We've got a uh, utility up here in Washington state that's taken the next step on its consideration of a small modular uh, reactor. So they're taking the next step on going nuclear. Uh, advanced meter chip supply chain problems and a resource adequacy program ready to file with FERC. But you, what have you got for us today, Jason? Oh, okay. Well, today I have uh, Nebraska residents setting a record for paddling in a giant hollowed out pumpkin. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm reading the wrong thing. <laughs> no, uh, today I have California Air Resources Board with a major decision requiring all new vehicles sold in the state to be zero emission by 2035. And I'll be talking a little bit about my bottom lines column this week that has to do with the situation down in Riverside, where the city council was very unhappy after discovering there might be a conflict of interest in an audit they've been working on for the past three years. And finally, I'll be talking about Abigail Sawyer's coverage, Southwest Utilities responding to the Inflation Reduction Act, saying it will help eliminate fossil fuels and cut costs in the Southwest. So yeah, the IRA. Well, I'm going to get us started here. Um, So breaching the four lower Snake River dams is the best chance to save the river's endangered salmon species from extinction. But 
removing the dams is not a feasible or responsible option until their energy and economic benefits are replaced. That is the top line of the final report released August 25th and commissioned by two of Washington's top elected officials, Governor Jay Inslee and Senator Patty Murray. As listen, listeners probably know already, the stakes and feelings in this issue uh, run very high around the question of the Lower Snake River Dam's futures future. Uh, there are four dams on the Lower Snake River, which runs uh, through Washington and Idaho. It's part of the Columbia River Basin. And so these dams are part of the federal hydroelectric system on the, the in the Columbia Basin. Uh, one side says breaching the dams is the best chance for saving these endangered salmon species on the river. Advocates on the other side say that removing the dams too soon jeopardizes the Northwest clean energy goals and puts at risk the stability of the energy grid and will also hurt other things like irrigation, uh, transportation, and other economic uh, factors. So the, the other thing is it's going to be really expensive to replace these resources between, uh, according to the report, their estimates and they're drawing on studies that have been done by others. It's between 10 and a little over $31 billion. Uh, and the the need to replace the, the energy resources and the economic benefits is so great that uh, Senator Murray came out and said that she is will not support any congressional action right now to uh you know, to move ahead with breaching until they there's a clear plan on uh, replacing the dam's attributes and the t- taking them down would need congressional approval so uh it is a an interesting and uh really important step forward there's a lot of concern that the Inslee and Murray who are both democrats both, uh, you know, on the liberal side, central liberal uh, side of the party. Uh, but, you know, Inslee's been very outspoken on environmental issues. I think there was a lot of expectations that they were going to come out with a more more aggressive stance on breaching the dams. And uh, it's really clear that this report is saying, look, breaching them is really important to uh, you know, creating the uh, the best chances for these species, but it, we are not going to get behind it right now because there are some big problems to solve uh, to make this a feasible option. Sure. And I see the report includes some recommendations to maybe uh, get yes. there. What's, yeah. Uh, and I mean, I was kind of holding off on those, but um, just there. They get pretty in the weeds pretty quickly, yeah. but uh, you know, it, one of the first things they want to do is get additional funding to look into uh, the best ways to save the salmon species. And and they really stress, look, there's other steps that can be taken in the meantime, other mitigation that can be be made. And and just to let listeners who aren't familiar with the area know, the salmon are really a, a, a linchpin. I don't know if that's the right best use of that term, but they're they're really a, a key part of the eco the marine ecosystems in the northwest and the in salish sea puget sound uh in, and north of there and just and again the marine ecosystems uh and so if they they're facing a lot of threats from extinction 
And it's not just species on rivers that have hydroelectric dams or just have dams, though. So uh, they're you know, facing a lot of threats from a lot of different areas. And that's one of the things that the report is recommending to really do much more in-depth studying. That said, you know, supporters of mitigation are saying, look, we've done the studies. We have the receipts. We, you know, have have a uh, accurate view of what needs to be done. And it involves taking these dams down. Folks on the other side say, look, there's enough, there's a lot more questions that need to be answered. Um, this federal government has spent billions and billions over the years uh, on mitigation with mixed results. And, uh, you know, hopefully there can be other more effective means taken but certainly walking somewhat of a middle line here and trying to balance. Actually, I, I shouldn't, that's maybe not even accurate because they, they come out and say the taking the dams down is not feasible or re mm -hmm. realistic right now. So, yeah, you know, Inslee is a supporter of clean energy too. So it's not like oh, he has yeah. a bias against it. Okay. Yeah, no. And I mean, that's a good point as, uh, yeah, as big of a supporter as he is for environmental issues in general, he's really made a kind of the, maybe his legacy being advocating for uh, emissions reductions. Right. Uh, but nobody wants bad reliability on their record either. So <laughs> yeah, that's a, speaking of emissions, what's uh, yes. CARB been up to down in California? Oh, CARB's been up to a lot. California Air Resources Board approved new regulations on August 25th. Requiring all new vehicles sold in the state to be zero emission by 2035. This would be one of the most sweeping changes to vehicle regulation since the invention of the internal combustion engine. Uh, it should be pointed out that plug-in hybrids are included in this, not strictly zero emission, but there you go. Um, I attended the meeting virtually. They basically said motor vehicle emissions are a threat to public health, but they acknowledge the proposal is not perfect. There's many challenges around meeting these regulations, which are known as Advanced Clean Cars 2 regulations. CARB member Davina Hurt, quote, said, I think we have no choice but to move forward, but thoughtfully, unquote. Um, speaking of internal combustion engines, she said, like the way of the steam engine, it's time to phase out. Uh, CARB member Daniel Sperling called the regulations the most important and most transformative transformative, sorry, action that CARB has ever taken has global implications. Uh, Sperling said he went on a news program discussing this and within minutes had a torrent of hate mail uh, <clears throat> leading him to say, we're going to get a lot of pushback on this. There was a public hearing held on August 25th where various people called in. Um, you know, the usual concerns being raised about the cost of EVs, the materials used in batteries, uh, lack of adequate charging infrastructure, especially in rural areas, electricity grid, grid concerns, and social equity concerns. There are some speakers representing farmers saying uh, it'll be a huge challenge for the agricultural community that will have to depend on a grid that's experienced the outages and public safety power shutoffs that we have out here. Um, the rules put in the new requirements on a staggered basis. 35% of new cars offered for sale by 2026 to be zero emission ramping up to 88% by 2033 
And 100% by 2035, CARB staff says the regulations will result in increased ZEV performance to reduce emissions, include, and they've included some requirements for range, added durability, warranties, charging equipment, fast charging, standardized data, repair information, and battery, battery labeling. So the general vibe here from CARB is, yes, we know this is going to be very difficult, but it's time to get moving on this. And uh, so they did it. This was really uh, implementing Governor Gavin's Newsom executive order in 2020, calling for a similar uh, similar regulation. So, so Jason, is, is this, I mean, so is it official? This is it? This is the requirement? Or is there any other, uh, you know, uh, whichever legislative or other regulatory step that needs to take place to make this the policy, the binding policy of the land. There are a couple uh, steps that need to be taken. They're fairly procedural. Um, they need, uh, first, they're going to respond to all the written comments. The regulations need to be submitted to the California Office of Administrative Law and there's also a waiver needed from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, which with our current administration is likely to uh, grant that waiver. But yeah, a couple of things. Um, it looks like this is happening. You already have other states. You know, Inslee said Washington's going to do the same thing with a similar program. I believe Virginia is auto automatically uh, any carb you know they're linked to carb regulations so we will see this in other states although we've already, yeah we've seen it in a, a number of other countries already so yeah, yeah it's be a big change i mean i know what the california market is so big car market so big that mm -hmm. they can kind of dictate uh based on its policies that what automakers uh, you know adhere to because yeah. it's too expensive to make uh, you know, a model for California and then a model for policies with more lenient uh, or states with more lenient policies. But I, sure. I did not realize that there were states that were had uh, their policies were directly linked to what CARB does. Yeah, really I read this. I read this in media. I'd encourage listeners to, um, you know, look into that. That is my understanding. I have not researched it uh, too much, but did see that. So yeah, uh, you know, CARB has a big influence on other states, just the way the way it's gone. And well, if anybody knows more about that, has uh, uh, some really some experience with it, please drop us a line. Yeah, I apologize. I'll, I'll look it up for next week, just so I know better. You know, one question I have about this is, these are requirements for vehicles to be sold but the automakers don't choose what people buy, the people choose. And I'm wondering, you know, 2029, when you can still get a gas powered and you go in and somebody wants a gas powered, I say, <clears throat> I'm sorry, you have to buy an EV or a ZEV because we need to make our quota. How's that going to work? You know, mm. but uh, we'll, we'll see. And, you know, I think they're right. You know, technologies go out of fashion and just because we've done this for so long and you know, it's not just carbon, it's other pollutants. So this looks to be the way the future's headed. Yeah, certainly. It'll be interesting to see all those gas stations yeah. go away over you know, the coming decades. And I know. just kind of, I don't know, such a 
important kind of they had this niche role with their the attached little yeah markets uh yeah i guess they'll just have strict ev stations now yeah so well yeah. uh yeah uh, on another note, I, I don't have a good segue for this, but uh, several West Coast attorney generals have uh, they have asked FERC to intervene in they they've asked filed with FERC asking to intervene in a proposed expansion of an existing uh, 1,300 mile pipeline, the gas transmission Northwest Pipeline. It's owned by TC Energy. It runs from British Columbia into Idaho in the uh, and through Washington, Oregon, uh, or I'm sorry, it runs from British Columbia through Idaho, Washington, Oregon, and ends in Northern California. And the owner, TC Energy, wants to expand it uh, in capacity. And they, these Western state attorneys general from Washington, Oregon, and California are arguing that uh, the developers failed to show that the $335 million project is in the public interest and uh, claiming off-takers of the expansion project don't need the additional capacity or they can find alternative resources. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out as these, you know, there's uh, such a ongoing debate in the role that natural gas plays in uh, transitioning the uh, at least the electric power industry side of it, um, you know, setting aside the natural gas heating uh, market, but you know, what what role does natural gas play in uh, decarbonizing the electrical power system? Sure, the, another fight in that in that ongoing issue. Yeah, um, two interlinked industries and systems that kind of have a back and forth here that's evolving. Looks like the off-takers are based in Washington, which Cascade Natural Gas, Boise, and a Canadian gas producer, producer Tourmaline. So, yeah. Well, we'll see uh, how that shakes down. Yeah, and, you know, one detail I left out, but I'll just add this in quickly. Uh, the expansion, it's only about, it would increase the capacity by 5.6%. Um, hmm. A story from my colleague Steve Ernst, who also wrote the story on the Inslee Murray report. Yeah. Okay. Well, so what do you uh, got for us? You got you got an update about the ongoing saga of Riverside, California. Oh yes. Um, this so grab your popcorn, listeners, because it's the latest yeah. installment of just what yeah. a. Yeah, I've been calling. I, this... Is it technically a dumpster fire? I don't. I think that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've been covering this for several years now in what I call the Tangled Web series. Um, this involves former Los Angeles Department of Water and Power General Manager David Wright, um, who has been sentenced to prison for crimes committed during his time at LADWP. Um, this situation is much lower under the radar involves Mr. Wright's time when he was working at Riverside Public Utilities in Riverside. There's a whistleblower blower named Jason Hunter, who I've been talking to for several years. Um, he was one of our most popular podcasts where he discussed when he was working at Riverside Public Utilities, 
back in uh, about 10 years ago, he started noticing Mr. Wright's signing off on a lot of big contracts and essentially stumbled upon what he says is a large scandal concerning contracts that were signed back then, people exceeding their uh, appropriations limits, kind of using uh, uh, contracts, particularly with Southern California Public Power Authority, to pay for all kinds of things um, that really not authorized. So what the latest development here is the city of Riverside finally did an audit in 2019. Um, They hired a firm named Ide Bailey. And this audit, I've been covering it since they asked for it. So we're coming up in the three-year mark. What happened was it was recently disclosed that a person that was possibly involved in these activities works at Ide Bailey. His name is Brent Mason. He's a former uh, Riverside City Council executive. He was the chief financial officer. I tried to speak with Mr. Mason, have not spoken with him yet. He's not been charged with any wrongdoing. These are simply allegations by Mr. Wright, but they have been borne out in other investigations. So it's not just one person saying this. But anyhow, what happened was it was revealed Mr. Mason works at Ide Bailey. Uh, The city council at their August 16th meeting was very unhappy about learning this. Um, City council member Chuck Condor, who ordered the original audit, and the reason the city is interested is because this is RPU and uh, Riverside still sending millions of dollars to SCAPA. And he says they have no idea what's happening with this money. That's Mr. Condor I'm talking about. His quote was, I think we need to be done with Ide Bailey. I've lost complete trust in them. I'd like to know when they expose the conflict. And he's referring to the conflict that a farmer, a Riverside executive now works at Ide Bailey. Ide Bailey, I did speak with them. They said he, he had nothing to do with this audit. And the people that worked on the audit had no idea that he worked there. But again, I think given there's been previous kind of whitewashed audits that have happened in relation to this and a lot of insiderism. So a lot of suspicion. Mr. Condor's probably most colorful quote was, I think we need, I need to go to Bass Pro Shops and buy some waders to wade through this bull crap we keep getting. So there's no decision made at the meeting. And I hope this is not all too complicated. It is a very complicated situation. It's basically boils down to whether it was a conflict of interest with this latest audit. When was it disclosed? Um, I Bailey being a little bit cagey about really discussing it. Um, but it looks the most likely outcome to me is they will start with a new audit of these contracts between Riverside Public Utilities and SCAPA. Uh, the audit period is January 2009 to December 2018. So the question is whether this was an innocent mistake or was it more part of kind of the web of influence, insiderism, and corruption that has been happening uh, down in L.A.? Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, it just seems like it's uh, another frustrating twist in the story where uh, the, the good folks of Riverside just want some... Yeah, the the taxpayers of Riverside, the citizens of residents of Riverside, I'm sure just want some like clarity 
about what's sure. going on. And even like, even if this is an innocent mistake, it's just uh, another twist that uh, the the city government, uh, the the authorities in this uh, just cannot seem to untangle no. that web that you're talking about. I really encourage listeners to um, check out the Jason Hunter interview. It's really worthwhile. Well, um, you know, back here in uh, Washington, mm-hmm. Grant County PUD, one of the mid-Columbia uh, utilities that is a major wholesaler of energy now, well, they're facing potential shortfalls as soon as a shortfall in uh, their capacity. Uh, and as soon as middle of this decade, 2025, 2026, and they are took the next step on looking into possibly getting a small modular reactor. So they might go nuclear. There's a lot to uh, a lot of a lot more re- studying and evaluation here that they need to do. But they are looking at coming back to the board of commissioners for the PUD. Um, that's public utility district uh, in the first quarter of next year. So, you know, a lot of questions that remain to be answered for them to make a decision, but that they are not taking a long time on getting to that uh, decision point. So it'll be coming up and we might start to see this could be indicative of the future where more and more utilities are uh, really going the option of small modular reactors. Yeah, and I think a new scale is very close to getting their final certification of their design. And, oh yeah, I, I yeah, thank you for mentioning that because I, mm-hmm. I should say so they in this case uh, they decided to continue evaluating the X Energy uh, reactor and um, instead of proceeding with new scale, so they're looking oh, really? at both and they they drop okay. new scale and are going ahead with the X Energy uh, wow. based in inter, uh, Maryland. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, interesting. We have, you know, one facility slated to come come online at um, Idaho National Lab site. That is a new scale reactor. Yeah. um, Bringing some nuclear into the Western energy imbalance market, which is interesting. But yeah, when you look at the upfront costs of building a new nuclear power plant, these small modular reactors are an exciting alternative and I'm sure we'll see more activity in this area. So good luck on that. Uh, when moving back to the Southwest here, as from reporting from Abigail Sawyer on the new Inflation Reduction Act, Southwestern utilities are pleased with provisions in the IRA that they say support their pre-existing plans for eliminating fossil fuel power generation. And also they say it will reduce costs for customers, there's n- numerous renewable energy incentives for investment and production and enhancements uh, for those incentives for meeting labor and domestic production criteria, tax incentives for nuclear power generation at existing plants and for advanced nuclear technology, also carbon capture, energy storage and hydrogen production. Uh, Salt River Project said this will give us greater ability to develop, operate and advance more renewable resources such as solar plus battery systems. Um, Public Service of New Mexico aims to deliver carbon-free energy across its territory by 2040. And the tax incentives are designed to reduce costs associated with existing and emerging carbon-free resources. So we have quite a bit of coverage of the IRA and the latest uh, CEM and CU. 
And there, yeah, it looks like Southwestern Utilities pretty much looking forward to this. Yeah, one of uh, many interesting developments going on across the West. Uh, another right. interesting, in that vein, another interesting development. So the Western Resource Adequacy Program, which uh, has its footprint in, to some degree, across 10 states, as well as British Columbia, 26 participants with a combined uh, peak load of, I think 67 gigawatts. Uh, they are ready to file with FERC, and I, I apologize, I haven't. Um, but by the time listeners hear this, I should say they likely will have fi- filed their tariff with FERC, basically uh, laying out the governance structure and penalties, how it will operate, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Really standing up this resource adequacy program and setting it to uh, go in. You know, starting to move forward on the implementation phase, beginning uh, at the uh, January first, hopefully. So another big step forward in terms of greater coordination across the West. This is again a resource adequacy program. So really, the aim is to make it more efficient of sharing of resources when the system is tight. And uh, the right. last thing I've got up here is uh, the the microchip supply chain. Uh, Problems are hitting the advanced meter production lines uh, and the supply chain delays have caused at least two utilities up here. I I wrote about Snohomish County PUD and after press time, uh, Seattle City Light confirmed that they've also had problems. Uh, They at least had already started theirs. Uh, Snohomish County PUD uh, had to delay starting their uh, installation of advanced meters they're putting it off into the second quarter of 2023 right now. They'd hope to start in the next few months, but they will have to wait a little longer. Hmm. Yeah. I first, yeah, supply chain just hitting everything in the energy industry right now. Uh, bringing, you know, solar batteries, everything. And uh, so, you know, listeners, please, if you've got more about how supply chains are affecting the industry or affecting your corner of the industry, please uh, drop us a line. I'm dcatchpole at newsdata.com. Jason, I think you're Jay Fordney at newsdata.com, right? Uh, Jason F, because Jason we have F. no standardization. Okay. Right. <laughs> and our well, emails. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's it for me, Dan Catchpole. Thank you for listening. As always, please rate and review this podcast, an Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Let other people know about it. Uh, and you can find me also on Twitter. I'm at dcatchpole. And Jason, you are at Fordney Energy on Twitter. So another way to get in touch with us. Yep. I'm on Twitter, at Fordney Energy. Yes, and thanks for listening to News Data's Energy West. You can read more of our coverage at newsdata.com. Nobody covers energy in the West like we do. Follow us on Twitter. CEM is at CEM News Data. That's the letter CEM News Data. Clearing Up is at CU News Data. Again, that's the letter CU News Data. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here next week. You've been listening to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. 